0: what's up everybody something that we don't talk about much here at apples and genos the goalie position in this special friday episode i've got an amazing guest with me to talk tendies how should we be valuing goalies are their performances predictable and which goalies should you target that may still be on the waiver wire i've got kevin woodley from nhl.com and in goal magazine here to give us those answers and more you won't want to miss this one Let's get to biz. This is Apples and Genos. You are listening to Cream of the Crop. Welcome in, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me. This is Cream of the Crop, the fantasy hockey podcast. I'm your host, Blake Creamer. Please give me a follow over on Twitter slash X at Blake Creamer AG. Also, Apples and Genos has a, an amazing Discord. The link is in the description. You get in there, you talk to me, you talk to Nate, you talk to other like-minded fantasy beauties, all right? Also, if you would do me a favor, head on over to YouTube and search Apples and Genos. We got a channel over there. If you want to look at this ugly mug, all right? Because I'm doing stuff over there, all right? But uh, I digress. We got a great show here, and I want to get right to it. I've got an amazing guest with me here to discuss everyone's favorite position in fantasy hockey, goalies. Yeah. All right. This man here covers the Canucks for NHL.com. He's a correspondent with an amazing website and an online resource for up-and-coming goalies in GoalMag.com. Plus, he's got a beautiful head of hair. Kevin Woodley, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today, my man? I'm good. The hair is getting gray, and it's a little bit disheveled, so we're hiding her under a toque today. Yeah, you know what? I've been wearing a hat for ten years. That's, that's fine. I'm 43. I made it this far. I'm married. I have kids. Whatever happens, happens. I don't
1: even. I, hey, listen, I'm 50 now. It's if the hair's still there, I'm happy.
0: All right, nice. That's a, that's a positive attitude, Kevin. Appreciate that. Uh, apologies here for the greasy mustache you have to look at here. I'm doing November this month, so you know my wife you can't look me in the eye. My kids, they're they're crying a lot when I enter a room. It's 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 you know that's where I'm at with that, but it's for a good cause. There's no mustache like my father's mustache. That's the biggest mustache in town
1: I don't, hey, all about the good causes, but uh, it's been made pretty clear to me that I'm allowed to have a beard. But if I uh, if I shave everything but the mustache, I'm out the door. So I enjoy having a uh, roof over my head. So I'm gonna I'm gonna refrain from that one.
0: Yeah, you know what? It's kind of one of those things you ask for forgiveness instead of permission. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, it's it, happy wife, happy life. You know the drill. All right. Um, I just want to say Kevin was a guest of mine here on uh, my previous podcast, Fantasy NHL Today. He was very generous with his time and his knowledge. I learned a ton. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for that i really appreciate that um if anyone's interested in that interview go and check out fantasy nhl today the stream there it's still up and pumping there but uh, i'm really excited to get this information kevin out to our listeners here at apples and genos um how have you been how's uh how was your summer and how have you been enjoying the first you know 15-ish games of the season here uh
1: let's just say that uh, i've been enjoying them a lot more um obviously covering the Canucks in Vancouver, it's been a a lot more upbeat, a lot more positive. There's a lot of good things around this team right now. And um, contrary to the sort of narrative or popular belief that the media thrives on negativity and chaos, um, nothing could be further from the truth. It's, it's just so much nicer to be around the rank when there are positives and Hey, not everything's perfect. Like, like there's ups and downs and questions to be asked when there are downs, but It's just, you know, it's so much more positive around there um, for them and for us and for everything. And so that makes it uh, it's been a while since it's been like that. So it's enjoyable.
0: I know, man, I'm uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. All right. I've been hurt before and I'm ready to be hurt again by the Canucks. That's that's how we do here. But uh, speaking of those Vancouver Canucks. What the hell is going on? Um, for, you know, maybe you could shed a little bit of light on maybe just talk about what what Rick Tockett has meant to this team this season. Some of the changes maybe he's implemented and just changing that uh, defensive environment for the Canucks like they have. I was looking into it. They, they have the best goal differential in the league. They're number one in PDO. They're number one in shot percentage. Like things are going great. What, what is it that Tauket has implemented that, is, that has made this
1: well, change? Well, I mean, obviously, a big part of that goal differential is, you know, there's been some some lopsided nights, some crooked numbers, whether it's 8-1 against Edmonton to open or 10-1 against San Jose. And, you know, clearly, anytime the PDO is as high as it is, people start to look for regression, and it seems like it's inevitable. Um, to me, though, the difference is when the shooting percentage comes down now and even, even the save percentage as well. Obviously, those two numbers add up for PDO. Um, is it the difference between winning some games three to two and two to one versus eight to one, ten to one and six, we have a lot of five, two and six, two nights this year. And I think the reason you can be optimistic that they're a team that can play those types of games. We've seen a few. Um, there's been a few, there was one recently against Seattle where, you know, they, they weren't able to sort of play that way and stick to it through the third period and came up with a loss. You know, but you look at the Dallas game, two, nothing over a stingy stars team and the way they sort of stuck with their structure. I just think, um, you know, talking will tell you about structure. Uh, there are just sort of non-negotiables in the way he wants these guys to play. And that goes right down to things as simple as he was harping on line changes this morning. Right. And a lot of people sort of roll their eyes at that, but it's been, so, it's a, it's been a drum, I bang for years here in this market. Um, because listen, like if you, if you don't hustle off, if you don't take care of that small detail. It's not just that there might be a chance because of it or you could lead to an odd man rush because you're not – It's it's it says everything about how much you care about your teammates. It says everything about a team mentality. If you're leaving the next guy hung out to take a minus because you didn't want to hustle to the bench, like it's just one of those little things that um, is not just – bad in terms of the chances it creates but it's not it's a bad sign in terms of team culture and team commitment and so uh, it's those little details um, it's defensively the structure they have I think too often we look at defense and think of the defenseman and the reality is in today's NHL it's five man units in execution and forwards backtracking I had a great conversation with in the other day uh, or the other week just talking about how much of a difference it makes to a defenseman when you've got forwards back tracking hard and how you're able to now stand up at the blue line and force a dump in versus retreating and giving up potentially not just maybe a rush chance, but easy possession in your end and a cycle. And now you're defending. So just a lot of those elements have come from Rick, Rick and the way they stress it and the way they coach it and the systems. But I also think there's just a maturity, like, this group has grown up. And, and I had a really good conversation with JT Miller about it this morning. Like he's been that young guy on the other end. So when he was at the Rangers, he was the young kid that didn't know how to do this stuff and took a lot of crap. And, and from the coaching and Elaine Vigneault and from teammates. And he's like, that's why I'm so hard on them now. And you're seeing a group in Pedersen and Hughes and even Brock Besser, who, when they came to this team, you know, it wasn't making playoffs. There wasn't a demand for playoff hockey. There wasn't enough talent to score, and that's all they needed to do, right? Like they were the young talent that was contributing offensively, and so that's all they had to do. And it took a while to realize that if you want to actually be a part of a team that wins, you have to do all these other things too. And some of them are hard work. And some of them are just about paying attention to details and executing those details. And some of them are about simplifying and not giving the puck away in bad areas and leading to odd man rushes against. And so for a lot of different reasons, they've just taken them a little bit of time to grow into that. And I think, you know, again, talking to JT today, like, he's like, that's just sort of part of the natural progressions. Yeah, maybe some teams, you think of Bergeron and in Boston and the way he demanded or set that standard for, you know, every player around him. And maybe, maybe it happens faster there because of things like that, but that culture didn't exist here when these kids came in and it's taken them a little while to sort of adapt to it. And I think part of it too, is just being sick of losing and and be having a voice and talking, come in and show them this is what it takes to win. And then being at a stage of their careers where they're willing to listen to it.
0: Yeah, no, that is a, that's, that's really interesting. I, I, you're you're absolutely right. I think in terms of like they're they're playing for each other, and there seems to be some accountability with this team. And that line changes that seems like such a small thing, but you I think you're right on the money there. Like last season, J T. Miller, Brock Besser, especially these guys are just just you know toddling off there. You know, meanwhile something's going on, and um, yeah, it, it's it's palpable kind of what's going on here. And I do think a regression is coming, but you know I don't think it's going to regress that hard when you got guys playing for each other this way.
1: No, I mean, if there's a regression coming, it's with the goal scoring, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even on Clearsight Analytics, the numbers, you know, paint a, they're a rosier picture than some of the public numbers. Like, I don't think the public numbers, for example, well, I know they don't. As a matter of fact, most of the private numbers don't account for traffic and screens and it's not just get bodies to the net. And like, it's so much more than that, right? Like you watch Besser net front, watch him and Miller work off each other on the power play. Um, Watch the way they've integrated the, the Dallas high tip that Joe Pavelski does so well. They scored a goal the other night off that, um, you know, Hughes to a high tip to Besser and and JT Miller pots, the rebound, like uh, they're layering their screens. Like they're creating more quality than a lot of the models give them credit for. And yet they're still outscoring that, you know, even, even, Even at clear sight, they're still in the bottom third, and they're outscoring that. So that will regress. Where I don't know that I see a huge regression, there will be some, but not maybe to the extent that some expect it, is defensively. Um, Yeah, like Thatcher Demko's performing at a level that if he were to keep it up for an entire season, would not just be Vesna Trophy worthy, it would be historically great. And. You know, we had a sort of historically great season a few years ago by Igor Shesterkin, and I think he finished with a plus three and a half adjusted save percentage, which is just unheard of. Well, Temko's at plus five and a half. So, yeah, that's probably going to come down. But the defensive structure in front of them, um, yeah, it's it's not perfect. There's nights where, you know, the other night, like, you know, against Seattle again, like double slot line back from one bottom of the circle one side, bottom of the circle the other, top of the crease back door, like that can't happen. And it doesn't happen very often. That's, you know, a couple times this year so far, whereas it used to be almost felt like it was nightly in the past. Um, but, you know, they're, they're high danger chances against five on five, uh, expected goals based on high danger on clear sight. They're top five in the league. And to me, that's not just only a sign of sustainability, if they can maintain the structure leading to that. And there are questions about whether they can. Carson Susi out. Do they have enough depth when Heronic and Hughes aren't out there? But if they can, uh, I think some of the defensive defensive numbers you're seeing are more sustainable than a lot of people might believe. And so, um, and more importantly, that metric I talked about that five on five high danger uh, chances against expected goals against uh, is quite often a very good predictor of playoff success over the past four or five years. And so, the fact they're up there in that metric um, bodes well, not just for you know, Hey, just get in and anything can happen, but maybe having a team that's learned how to play a style that will make things happen. When we get into that second season where the game, you know, talking, talked about today with the traffic, right? Like Mm -hmm. you don't score a lot of tic-tac-toes in the playoffs. You need to be able to get to the net. And I think not only do they get to the net bottom 10 last year in terms of screen chances on net taught, I think they're eighth in the league right now by clear sight. but again, with a purpose, the way they're setting screens, the way they're moving screens, the way they're purposely trying to push goaltenders, in certain directions just as a shot is released like there's, there's a lot of dynamic talent out there but they're executing in more ways than they used to it used to just be like over to the one team now like there's so many more layers to how they're attacking um and and again yeah will it sustain at the level it's at right now probably not but i think there's more sustainability and more sustainability in there than a lot of people uh, are are
0: expecting boom i love to hear this oh my god i get i could talk to you about the canucks all night so for god's sakes yeah we got to move on to the goalies but th- that's that's an that's a that's high praise right there and i i i can feel that just from the eye test but i love to kind of get backed up with what you're talking about so um moving on i want to talk um something that we do here obviously we're doing fantasy hockey but i'm talking to you about goalies and um a, I talked to you a little bit about this last time that we spoke and I want to do it again for these listeners here, just valuing players. Uh, obviously, we value players here. We're looking at metrics like, sh- you know, shots and goal per 60, scoring chances for uh, Corsi for all that stuff per 60. That's how we sort of value our players here. Um, predicting goalie performances, first off, we do a strategy here called zero G. I talked to you a little bit about this last time where you're basically spending less draft capital on goalies in draft season than your opponents. Right. So, um, because basically the Los Angeles Kings of, uh, fantasy hockey. Yeah, sure. You know what? That's, that's good. We'll take the Stanley cups too. Um, but yeah, so basically because goalers, goalies are ultimately less predictable, reliable, and more replaceable than most skaters. So question to you at a base level, how predictable do you think goalie performance is? Well, I mean, if, if I said it was really predictable
1: and I would, I would be lying cause it's not right. Like there's, we see a lot of variance, maybe more than ever before. Um, I do think you can understand the variance to a better degree and anticipate it at times in both directions based on the team environment and understanding the team environment. Um, you know, I'll use Edmonton for an example this year. Uh, Everyone's pointing at the goaltending. The reality is the team environment is what is cratered. Uh, defensively, off the rush, they give up more of the most dangerous chances than any team in the National Hockey League. And so um, when that wasn't happening, when they were a top 10 at for much of the season, a top five defensive team, much like in the same underlying metrics I was talking about with the Canucks. Yeah. Goaltending wasn't asked to do as much. And so the raw numbers look really good. And Stuart Skinner's at the All-Star game, and Stuart Skinner's, you know, a call to trophy finalist. Um, but a lot of that was, I'm not saying he was insulated. Like he was full value for everything he did, especially in his first year in the National Hockey League behind a team with Stanley Cup aspirations. Like that matters. Um, but you take away some of that defensive support and then wonder, you know, what the hell happened? Well, um, first of all, goalies, sometimes that first year can be tough to repeat. Even look at Igor Shesterkin coming off the Vezina, the step back he took. There's so many factors there. You know, Shesterkin's Sh- Sh- case, it was just trying too hard to live up to the expectations he set and literally trying hard in goaltending doesn't work. And you can see how it manifested itself in his game physically, a little more tense, a little wider in his stance. And all of a sudden pucks he used to cut off with his shoulders, are, are just going half an inch over a shoulder and in the net. Because what's he done? He's widened out at his stance. And what do you do when you widen out in your stance? You get lower in the net. So um, there's a lot of different ways these things can manifest themselves. But at the end of the day, the environment is such a big factor in predicting goaltending success. And so the lesson would be um, to look out for changes. And sometimes that can be a, you know a goalie changing a team. Like, for example, Eunice Korpisala going from one of the most goalie-friendly teams in L.A. to a team that is mid-pack in terms of that uh, in Ottawa. Um, The one in Edmonton is tougher to predict because, you know, nothing changed. The personnel was, for the most part, the same. The coach was the same. And just their whether it's their willingness or their ability to defend, some changes. A lot of people pointed to them going to a box plus one like Vegas uses in the defensive zone. That wasn't a problem. Some changes in their neutral zone, a pass of one one three like the Kings played that may have been a problem, but really I think it starts with their forecheck and guys not you know guys. We talked about forwards backtracking and and five man unit defending. Like if you don't establish a strong forecheck and they haven't, and teams break out cleanly on you and you're not hustling back, you're going to give up odd man rushes. And so you know I look at Stuart Skinner and people like oh you can't predict goaltending, look at how it's fallen. I'm like well. No, because this isn't what he faced last year. And so I think if he had faced this degree of chances, then the numbers would have looked different. And now he is. And so it's tough to predict, but I do think you can look at it, look at it with that information and say, well, this, this isn't goalies being voodoo. This is goalies facing chances that are apples to oranges from last season. So, of course, the results are going to be different. Skinner, as good as he's been, has never had – um, super positive results against the rush. So maybe you don't want to be the dead last in the national hockey league when it comes to giving up high danger rush chances. So, um, you know, that's just one example. I do think you can look at the underlying numbers uh, adjusted save percentage, and you know, you can, you can find things that you think will fit. You can dig into them to, you know, like for example, right now, when I'm asked to look at the Edmonton Oilers, I don't just look at adjusted save percentage that tells me how good a goal he's been this year relative to his environment, but in their case, I'm clicking on rush chances. I want to see how they are specifically against the rush and and, and odd man rush chances, like wh- how well do they fend? I mean, they're the toughest chances, but you are some goalies. Every goalie has to be able to manage every type of chance. But Some guys are just better skaters. Some guys are just going to be better in that situation. Some guys have a lot of experience. They're going to read that rush really well. So um, as much as it's unpredictable – if you know where to look, you can find some of the signs. Now, the problem is a lot of the stuff I'm talking about isn't publicly available data. It's not going to help you in your hockey pool, but it's just too easy to scream into the void. Goalies are voodoo when these things happen, and I think if you have a better understanding of the numbers and match that to styles and strengths and weaknesses and how the team plays, I think you can find you can find a Charlie Lindgren who you know I said two two summers ago to me had the potential to be the best signing of that UFA class at $1.3 for three years. Took a little while, but the guy leads the league in adjusted save percentage this year, and they're only paying him $1.3, right? So um, Connor Ingram, as a guy that I thought teams should claim off waivers last year, look, again, took him till December to sort of get comfortable in a new environment, new reads behind a new system and new personnel. But now that he is, he's been exceptional for a year, you know, almost coming up on a full year now in the National Hockey League. So there are signs you can find these things. Um, it's just a matter of knowing where to look and understanding that changing environments, sometimes even if fit fits, sometimes you got to live through an adjustment period.
0: That's excellent. Yeah. Um, that's one of the biggest things that I took from our last interview is, is that team environment. And I love that you talk about that because yeah, Joe fan thinks, oh, like, like the Edmonton situation is such a great example. And I've had that thought myself, like they're not getting any goaltending, but you know, under the hood, there's, they're, they're not playing the same way they played last year. So, um, that, that is such an important piece. And that, that brings me to the next question here, in your opinion, what, what have you seen that makes a good defensive team environment? Like just in general, what, what is it that makes a good defensive environment besides like hustle and playing for each other, like kind of, you know, the strategy, right? Like you talked about the Kings and their, their one, one, three and stuff like that. Is, is there something even predictable in that way? Like certain high quality teams like Boston or Colorado or, you know, anything like this that are doing.
1: Um, no, that's, that's a good question, uh, Blake, but, and, and it's interesting. I don't want to, I don't want to speak out of turn because I, I, you know, systems are things that, you know, I'm still learning. And right. so to say that, you know, I think we see this in Edmonton, like they changed their system to copy what another team that beat them in the playoffs was having success with. And again, the irony is I don't actually don't think their in-zone play is that bad, um, despite some, you know, spectacular failed moments uh, that are all over the highlight film. I, like I, like I, I don't think that's the, the root of the issue. Um, at the end of the day, it's about for, from a goaltending perspective in a game that has become increasingly unpredictable and incredibly challenging for goalies. And I've, I've talked to a few guys that are like Mm -hmm. the game has never been harder for us. Power plays have never been harder for goalies than they are right now. What these players are doing, the way they understand how we play and how they try and pick it apart. It has never been harder. Um, (laughs) Bringing some degree of predictability to that environment so that, you know, and Rick Talkin talks about it here in Vancouver, right? Like, I don't want my goalies having to go post to post all the time. I want them to be able to cut the ice in half and and focus on these options because they trust their teammates, whether it's defensemen or forwards backtracking or flexing out on a flank shot that they're they know the system and they're going to execute the system. It's a matter of, hey, when there's a screen in the middle, and this guy's at the top of the circle, my job as a goalie is to be on the short side of that screen because that's the shortest distance between that puck and going in the net is short side. And there's more likely to be traffic or bodies for that puck to hit in the middle of the net. Um, So I'm going to pick short side. And when my defenseman picks a side of the guy in front of me in terms of the screen or when my forward flexes out to that shot option, he better be in the middle lane. Yep. And he better not only be there, but he better be willing to eat a freaking puck while he's there. And that's something that hasn't happened in Vancouver for years and is happening this year. More guys willing to eat pucks. Um, so So like being able to trust that he's in the right lane so that I don't have to look back and forth behind that screen and try and find that puck. I can hold short side and see the release, which is so important for a goaltender. Again, being able to trust that all these guys are executing, and there's going to be mistakes. It's a game of mistakes. It's not perfect. But most times you can trust that that guy understands where he's supposed to be, and he's going to try his best to be there and be effective in that role. And that that can be a backtracking forward. Like it's it's execution within whatever system your coach implements, and it's consistent execution so that everyone else around you trusts that you do you do your job. So they only have to worry about theirs. Because as soon as you can't, as soon as somebody screws up, does everybody start trying to fill in or do they go back to their job? Because when everybody starts trying to make up for everybody else's mistakes, pretty soon nobody's where they're supposed to be. Nobody's doing their job. And, you know, quite frankly, that's what it looked like in Vancouver last year early. Uh, It's looked like that I hear a lot. And so when I see it with other teams, it's funny, I heard on the radio yesterday, like, what would Edmonton be like if they had Thatcher Demko? Like, yeah, it's not just the goaltending. that They need better defense, but what would they be like if they had Thatcher Demko making some of these saves? And, hey, man, Thatcher Demko's an elite goaltender. But do you remember what his numbers were when he was playing behind a team early last season that was playing that way? And, yeah, health eventually became a part of it, but it wasn't a part at the beginning, and his numbers were terrible because you can't – there's only so much a goaltender can do – when they can't trust anybody else to be where they're supposed to be. And that in a game that is increasingly dynamic, you have no predictability in
0: terms of what your guys are trying to do. No predictability. That makes total sense, but damn it. Oh God. I have a whole podcast based on predictability here, Kevin. Oh man. This is, this is, you know, a little rough stuff, but that makes total sense. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about is so in fantasy hockey, obviously, We hate goalie tandems, you know, obviously because you're not getting the starts, you're not getting that workhorse stuff. But obviously, yeah, you, so yeah, yeah, no kidding. And I wanted to talk, not going anywhere. Yeah, it's it's obviously a trend that's happening in the league. And I wanted to just get your take on first off, are you a fan of that sort of way moving forward, that deployment? And like, I just feel like there's, there's very few true workhorses left in the NHL.
1: Um, I mean, whether it's travel, um, I'm trying to think, like, has it gotten any harder? Because like, there were guys playing 70 games not that long ago. Um, you know, the one thing that I would say is, and I've had this from a lot of goalies uh, and a lot of goalie coaches, you can't get away with a B game anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have if you have your B game, you, they're putting five past you. And that wasn't the case. Like, I remember, yeah. you know, guys like Roberto Luongo, when they didn't have their A game, you know, just back up a little further in the crease, simplify your reads, try and get away with the B game. And you just can't anymore. Like, like you just can't, like you'll be exposed. And that goes for a team having an off night, but especially for a goaltender. And so, um, you know, I, I do think some of those workhorse guys, there were some nights where maybe they, 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 they figured out how to manage their B game and get away with it. And so many guys tell me can't do that anymore. You, you just can't. So, Um, and so what do we need to do if we, if we rely on an A game every night at a time when the depth of goaltending is good, but we've lost a lot of those guys. Like part of this is just look at the names. Like, you know, look over my shoulder, Luongo, Price, Lundqvist, like look at the names of workhorse, like superstar goalies that we've lost in the last five, six years to retirement. Like Rene, even Corey Cross, like there's so many guys that aren't playing anymore. So we're sort of going down. It's almost become a development leak for young goalies a little bit. Never was before. Now like guys are in the NHL learning on the fly. and um, That wasn't the case in the past. And so in order to have all these guys at their best, to give them a chance to be their best, they need more time with the goalie coach between starts um, to rest the body, to make sure that, you know, they have that reset so that they are able to go out there and bring their A game. And I just, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think you're seeing teams be smart about finding different ways uh, to get guys rest because you've seen it like, Even if you get through the regular season, the chances of you having enough left to be at your best in the playoffs when it's supposed to matter the most are slim. So I think goalies could play 70 games, but what do you got left of that goalie when you need him the most? And I think that's part of the recognition here uh, in terms of trying to balance out those workloads and not overtax guys uh, to the degree we used to in the past. And and those guys wouldn't tell you they were overtaxed, but the game's changed again margin for error dynamic offense like you just cannot go out there with anything but your best and in order to be at your best you're probably going to need a few more nights off than you did five, 10 years ago
0: how do you think that affects these goalies going into the playoffs like um because yeah if they're used to just going you know like what they're doing in boston for instance or even in minnesota obviously that's been a you know pretty rough start for them there but you know you make the playoffs and now you're expected to play seven games like how does that, do you think that's going to affect those goalies, you know, moving forward?
1: Uh, I'd be curious to see how this, you know, this is a tough one. I don't have the answer. I bang the drum for tandems in the playoffs too. Like if you do it all season, do yeah. it in the playoffs. I think we saw with Linus, um, you know, that that's a tough one because he didn't play a ton during the season. And all of a sudden, you're right, he had to. And, you know, he just wasn't quite at the level we got used to seeing, like, cause he was incredible all year. And so then you go to Swayman in game seven. Well, he sat there for two weeks, right? Like you could have gone to him earlier. And so I'm curious to see how they handle it. They have the ultimate tandem. Do they go to it in the playoffs back and forth? Um, you know, a lot of people crapped all over Minnesota for going to Marc-Andre Fleury, but the reality, if, if, you know, Gustafson, um, if there's any question marks uh, about him in a season that, you know, frankly, statistically was, the only one to come close uh, to Linus Allmark from an adjusted save percentage standpoint, and the only one other than Saros that maybe could have made an argument uh, to, to be a candidate was Gustafsson. Mm-hmm. But um, the one of the reasons he didn't play more in the season is just like the conditioning. He wasn't used to that type of workload at that level. And so they go into Dallas, one of the hottest buildings in the league and they play a bunch of overtimes in the first game. There's no way you were like you were going to be rolling him out at like 65%. And I totally understood why they went to Fleury and you know the crappy thing is he didn't deliver. And so now everyone says that was a mistake and you couldn't have done it, you know, but I think in talking to some of the people there like they didn't really have a choice. Like that was and they they played both and the and the truth was Mark Andre Fleury had been exceptional during the regular season in a reduced role. Um so they went to him and it didn't work because he didn't deliver, um, which sucks because everybody loves Marc-Andre Fleury and you want to see great things for him. And there was a ton of pressure and he wasn't at his best. So uh, I don't think you throw the baby out with the bathwater in that case. I think it was a sound decision. I think it was part based on recognition that Gustafson wasn't ready to be an every night guy in the playoffs, especially coming off a night like that one. And I think the one thing about Fleury struggling in that game um, that, that sort of helped this get lost is Jake Ottinger wasn't great Mm -hmm. either. Yep. And he played that big double overtime game. And if you watch in that series, like he didn't really recover and look like himself until much later on. Like there was a cost of playing that big overtime game in the Dallas heat to start the playoffs. And, you know, I think, again, if Flurry plays at the level he had down the stretch, this might be a very different conversation. And I think you combine that with what happened in Boston, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's a risk-adversed industry. Nobody wants to be the first one through the door. They're always bloodied. Minnesota's a great example with Fleury last year. You're going to take that heat. Not a lot of coaches want to take that heat. But I, I got to think that in Boston and maybe, maybe increasingly with time, you know, are you doing it with Demko and Casey DeSmith? No. But a lot of these are job shares, like even Ilya Sorokin, as good as he is, like Varlamov's been fantastic. Really curious to see how teams handle this going forward once these tandems that that split games in the regular season get into the playoffs more and more
0: yeah absolutely i i am I'm, I'm with you there i'd like to see a bit of an evolution in in how these coaches sort of handle this right like get lay it up out front right like yeah okay this is how we're going to do it this is your start this is your start and and kind of just keep it going right for consistency because yeah there's there's also that mental piece right like how does Gustafson feel if flurry goes out and, and wins that game seven and now he's expected to you know just be a professional obviously come back in and sit take a back door to flurry while he won the first three games you know it's like it's just interesting. I, I there's there's such a mental aspect to all this technical stuff that we're talking about. Like there's that big mental aspect uh, of the goalie position and just sports in general. And um, yeah, but I would love to see maybe if Seattle Seattle makes the playoffs again, they'll do it. That that seems like something Dave Haxtell might do. Just one and yeah, other. I mean, and the other thing I,
1: too is like you're never gonna pull a hot guy, or right? Like that's the thing. Yeah, that's and, and I get. Like, I understand that too. Like this is what makes it so tough, right? Like I think Vegas when they had Flurry and Lehner, if they could do it over again um the year they knocked out minnesota in the first round would have if they could like i if you could give true serum to pete de and he had a do-over i think he would have gone to robin laner in the first round the flurry was they were bad as a team and they leaned heavily on flurry in the first three four games and if it wasn't for him they don't have a 3-1 series lead so i again hot goalie how are you taking him out yeah. But once he got to three one and got to game five and game six, they didn't play Laner and you could see Flurry starting to run out of gas. And so they ended up playing Laner in the first game of the second round and basically gave a game away because he hadn't played in two weeks and the team was exhausted and they gave Flurry a night off. But again, True Serum, I think they'd go back and maybe get him in earlier in that first round. Robin Laner, and so it's easy to hindsight the ones where it doesn't work. Flurry last year with Minnesota. But I think we need to hindsight the ones where keeping one guy in clearly costs him being able to be at top form as time goes on.
0: Yeah. Such an interesting point. Um, Okay. I got another question here for you. Uh, So, so, for us in fantasy, this is kind of what the zero G draft strategy is all about. There, there's always a number of goaltenders that emerge from nowhere to have massive fantasy value kind of during the season, right? Last year we're looking at Stuart Skinner, Philip Gustafson, who we talked about. And in the early going this season, it looks like Cam Talbot is is the guy. He's he's playing Unreal. Is there any predictability with these players in situations? Like did like even just Cam Talbot in particular, did you see this kind of coming? Obviously, we know LA is a good goalie environment, but did you expect this from Cam Talbot this season?
1: I'm not going to, like, blow smoke and say that I, like, you know, was picking Cam Talbot first in hockey pools or right. calling him to be one of the league leaders. Um, but I can't actually, because 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 I got called on it when I said it. And it's like, um, I think it was, it may have actually been a fantasy segment on Sirius XM NHL radio with um, uh, Jim Gordon Boomer. And he asked me sort, sort of for my pick, the guy who, you know, every year he asked me for a sleeper and, you know, I said, I don't know if you can call him a sleeper because he is a veteran, but I liked Talbot going into that environment, coming out of an environment that he was maybe overtaxed. Like I just, mm-hmm. again, I think Cam's a really smart goaltender with a really structured game and you put him in an environment where those reads get a little simpler and more predictable. Um, and he's going to have success and good for him. He is. And so yeah. Yeah, like I'm not back because I get a lot wrong. They call me the donator in my hockey pool for a reason. <laughs> um, but I'm at least on record as saying I thought Cam Talbot would be a guy that uh, would have an exceptional season. And you know, part of that is Cam Talbot, the goalie and the professionalism and knowing what he's about. But part of it is just you know him in a perfect environment. Just like I said at the trade deadline last year that Yunus Corpusala was going to be a perfect fit for the Los Angeles Kings even though goalies don't typically have immediate success after a trade because of all the adjustments required, but there are less adjustments when you're playing behind a team that defends as well as the Kings. And so it doesn't mean you dismiss the the results the goalies haven't either. Like um, yeah, easy environment, but you have to have the right mentality to fit in there. We've a lot of goalies over the years have gone to a team that, you know, doesn't give up a lot of shots and they can't handle it because they need to be busy to stay in rhythm. But Talbot's a guy who's got a really strong technical foundation. And so um, as the Kings have found their game defensively after a bit of a hiccup out of the gate, uh, I'm not surprised that he is also having success behind that team. And I, and and there's been some adjustments with the new goalie coach, probably more so for Phoenix Copley because he was there last year. Yep. Mike Buckley takes over from Bill Ranford, who is now the director of goaltending. So on a day to day basis, what they're doing for Copley it changed a lot. For Talbot, he's coming into a new team anyway, so it's all new to him. Um, and I think I think Phoenix maybe. There was a bit more of an adjustment period. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is don't be surprised if he starts to have success again as well. He's a better, I know it, it was struggles at the beginning, but he got into some of the games where they just didn't show up. Um, I know he's capable of better than that. And I think you're going to start to see that here in the in the coming weeks and months. Um, and a lot of the people were asking questions about their tandem. It's being answered in large part because of the environment environment they're in and how e- how
0: how well they sort of suit that. See, I knew I should have talked to you before I drafted. All right, that was uh, that was my bad. That was a mistake on my part. Although I did get uh, – I, st- I did zero G, but I got uh, Markstrom uh, in a lot of leagues. I'm playing nine leagues, by the way. I have a problem. But, uh, yeah, I got Markstrom and I got Grubauer in a lot of spots. And it's been pretty rough going so far. Although I do like what Markstrom's been able to do this season. Markstrom's but-
1: like top 15 yeah. in the league in adjusted save percentage. That, that one's an environment. Like he's given them everything that – He can. He's been really good for that team. Uh, He needs a little help.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going on in Calgary there, but there's been some signs of life, uh, especially with guys like Huberto starting to at least just put some points on the board and get that kind of mental game going uh, again. But uh, anyways, um, I've got one more question for you, and then I want to do a little fantasy rapid fire if you'll uh, indulge me, all right? Yeah. So obviously we talked about zero G. I'm basically looking for... Is there a goaltender or goaltenders across the league that you think will outperform general expectations for the rest of the year? So guys, maybe we can target in fantasy that might be not rostered like the big boys.
1: Oh, and this is my, I say don't play daily fantasy and hockey. How many starts do you need out of these guys? Are these guys you want to spot in every once in a while?
0: Yeah. Don't even worry about that. Just, just a real general, like goalies that you're, you're kind of excited about that maybe are a little underrated that you think are underrated.
1: Well, I guess it's probably a little too late to point out Joseph Woll because he's already starting to have success. Yep. But even as the numbers have dipped, uh, the public sort of what I call the NHL.com numbers that that everybody sees—the raw save percentage and stuff—the underlying looks really good on him. Um, still, a pretty favorable environment for him in Toronto, um, as it has been for all the goalies there. Uh, sleepers, um, I guess Charlie Lindgren's out of the bag. Jonathan Quick's had, a, you know, like you watch him play, and he's playing controlled and contained. Uh, Peter Laviolette teams first year under Lavi are always really good defensively. Uh, Jonathan Quick's been full value behind that team. Nedeljkovic is one a goalie that I've always liked and thought he was an NHL goalie. I know he wasn't in the league much last year. Um, you know, Pittsburgh's underlings aren't terrible and he's had success early. I always see coming off the shutout, but I feel like he's a guy that could challenge for, for starts, especially with Tristan Jari, you know off to you know a more pedestrian start um yeah i'm just kind of going through the list i mean Semyon varlamov's been amazing but obviously you're capped how much he's going to play uh you know behind um Ilya Sorokin, oh, Sorokin. It's ah it's a bit of a tough one right like yeah. um because it's all about you know how much opportunity are these guys going to get you know one guy that You know, you you heard me talk about Connor Ingram and he's getting more minutes and doing a lot with him in Arizona, but the team's limited. This guy kind of falls under that um, category as well. But a guy that I would have had last year on my go get this guy at the trade deadline list right behind Jonas Corposalo, but then the Nashville Predators locked him up for another year. Now, I believe it was only a one year contract. So he's kind of right back into that situation. He might be trade bait. Kevin and has had success in the past and the underlying numbers are on him. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Charlie Lindgren when he hit free agency. Like there's some really good underlying numbers. He's made some adjustments to his game um, in, in Nashville over the past year and a bit with Ben Banner the goalie coach there, and they've shown up in the numbers. I like what I see in terms of the style and the way he's playing Uh the, There's a goalie there. There's a guy that in the right opportunity could be a number one. I I can't tell you whether he gets that opportunity or when, or whether it's this year, but if you're in like a keeper league and you're looking for a buy low guy who like a year and a half from now, or maybe even next season could get an opportunity to be a number one somewhere. Like I I believe in Kevin Lankinen. And then I guess the last one, and this is tough because you ain't getting wins out of them because the team is terrible, but I guess you'll get a bunch of saves. Mackenzie Blackwood is a stud. (laughs) Mackenzie Blackwood is a guy who, with the right, um, if he can stay healthy and as he continues to sort of progress, because he's still a relatively young goaltender, but he's. He, I watched him the other night here. Um, I could see him by 2025 being one of the three or on the list or in competition to represent Canada the next time we go best on best. And that may hey, some people say that's a statement about the depth of Canadian goaltending. Um, but but I like I believe in everyone I know, every goalie, every goalie coach that has played with like. The physical tools are unbelievable. The strength, the power, the size, unbelievable. And he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. And and if he can figure that part out, and it looks like there's been some good accounts from what I've heard out of people in San Jose. They were just through town here and talking to the goalie coach. Um, He just can't believe how talented this kid is. So you're not getting wins. But if saves matter, um, Mac is going to make a bunch of them for the San Jose Sharks this year.
0: I love that. That is exactly what we're looking for here, Kevin. Um, I love that you uh, brought up Charlie Lindgren because that's a that's a player I'm very interested in, and I've picked up in a bunch of spots. He's still not rostered very much in fantasy here. Um, do you think that Lindgren takes the the crease there in Washington, or are they doing more of a timeshare?
1: I think he's earned more starts. The problem was last year, even when he played, like if you look at his numbers last year, he was getting killed because he was getting he was getting the garbage minutes, right? Like, and that's the job, right? You're the backup. Kempers coming off a of Stanley Cup. And so the second half of back to back against teams that are rested and ha- also happen to be wagons, like you're going to get chewed up and spit out. And he got a lot of those. And when, when, when Kemper got hurt, there was a period there, let's say midway through the year where Darcy got hurt and all of a sudden Charlie got more starts and was playing, getting all the games, not just the garbage time games. And he started posting some really good numbers. So this was there. It's all a matter of now. Like it seems pretty clear to me that he's earned more opportunities and there'll be more legitimate opportunities instead of mop-up duty. Um, that said, Kemper's got the contract. He's got the pedigree. He's got a Stanley Cup ring. He's a good goalie. He's a consistently good goalie. Um, so it's not like he's going to take over the number one job. I, I, I don't see that happening in Washington. Too much respect for Darcy. Um, but certainly looks like he's earned more minutes uh, and and a bigger chunk of a job share. And as Darcy gets older, his role is going to have to decrease anyways. We talk about the tandems, like – I think Lindgren again. Like, is he going to be your a number one every night starter ahead of Darcy Kemper? I'm not making that prediction, but I think he's going to get more minutes. And I think what you've you've seen what he's done with him so far. Um, you know, when I look at his numbers right now, uh, adjusted save percentage. You know, he's he's ahead of Demko. Uh, he's ahead of Swayman. He's ahead of Binnington, who's had a hell of a year. He's ahead of Markstrom, who's top ten. You know, like he's had a really nice start to this season. Yeah, his smaller his sample size is still smaller. Um, but he's been full value for the numbers he's he's putting up and it's not like the environment's been great either. He's got an expected of eight eighty. It's not like this is all a product of a
0: super high expected save percentage. He's been full value. I love that. All right. Well, that, that gives me some confidence there. All right. We've got a fantasy rap, uh, rapid fire here, Kevin, do your best. All right. Um, I've got maybe four questions here for you. Give me, give me a one word or see what you think here. Okay. Who is the goalie to own in Buffalo? Of their three-headed monster, who's the goalie to own in fantasy this year or long term? This year, yeah. Oh, that's a tough one. You can pass if you really want to, but you know, then I'll have to, you know, riff, and then people don't want to hear.
1: I feel like I feel like you like like and, and he's played well. He's played better this year. He's actually shut me up a little bit. His results have have improved significantly. It looks like they want uh, UPL to have a bigger role there um and and be honest the underlying numbers didn't support that in the past but he's been full value for it so um until like devin's the guy they really want to get going but until he gets a little traction um and you know what i'd still take levi at the end of the day to be honest with you because there's three of them and because they couldn't defend to save their lives i'd probably avoid all of them but if i had to pick one um i'm a big Comrie guy and like i said upl's played well but is obviously the one they, they've pegged as the future. And I think he's going to get the most opportunity. I, I don't know that they're going to send him down at any point this yeah. season. So, um, and I believe in that kid and his upside, whether it's now or later. You put him with a little more structure in the way he reads the game. And I think you'll see better things. And Comrie, once again, second straight year, one of the lowest expected save percentages in the league. Like that is a tough environment for a goaltender and he's outperforming it. So I'm, I, I got, I got that fence firmly up my ass with that answer.
0: <laughs> you're so uh, diplomatic, Kevin. And it's nice. Well, but I would actually say in
1: that case, just like, again, because they can't defend, I'd avoid all three and there's three of them. So you're never going to get a, You're never going to get a ton of minutes.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. I like that. Uh, same question. Who's the goalie to own in Carolina? All right. Obviously Anderson is out, so we'll take him out of the picture. We're looking at Ranta or Kochetkov. What do you think?
1: I, I think it's Auntie or Anta, and obviously there's a risk because he could get injured, but um Kochetkov has a ton of talent. Uh there, there hasn't been a ton of consistency. Could he get on an absolute heater? Yeah. Um could that heater last a week? Yeah. But I don't know that it that it eventually the inconsistency will catch up. And one thing that that Auntie has been when healthy is a consistently above expected level goaltender matter of fact he's been he's been a pretty he's been a really good goaltender when he's healthy so
0: give me auntie Ranta love it okay uh this one's uh just kind of this one or that one for your fantasy team are you drafting Shesterkin or Sorokin
1: uh this year I'm drafting Igor Shesterkin it's like I talked to different experts that like one over the other for varying reasons. Uh, I love Igor Shesterkin's game, but mostly it's Igor is playing behind a Peter Laviolette team in the first year as head coach, great defensive structure. I think they've got better team that can actually help out score, whatever does end up going in the net and you're going to get more wins. To me, that's, it's not a judgment of which goalie is better. That is just a smart decision.
0: It's Shesterkin all the way. There you go. And last question. Artur's Urbe or Johan Hedberg who are you taking in your fantasy team
1: I can't remember any other stats <laughs> Johan's a, a friend he wants affect, to affectionately he swears called me a goalie geek so um, <laughs> I'm probably and and even though he's gone to the dark side he's a head coach in the in the SHL That's right he is now, yeah. not a goalie coach <laughs> um, and also cuz I want him to give me whatever like fountain of youth he's discovered because he's 50 and he looks like he's 25 when I saw him this summer I'm going Johan Hedberg I love it
0: I have good memories of both those guys especially Herbie's uh, gear that was just such ridiculous gear the helmet the neck guard I don't know
1: This an Herbie Herbie had the gear style like with the like literally couch cushion pillows yeah. uh, for pads <laughs> but don't forget Johan Hedberg and the moose mask launched sort of the concept of sort of unique caricature style goalie masks and put Dave art on the map. Like that was the first one that sort of brought this, this great Swedish painter to the national hockey league. It was Johan's mask, the Manitoba moose mask that ended up wearing for Pittsburgh that sort of launched a franchise, frankly. I mean, it made it probably would have happened eventually anyways, but that's the one you point back to when you see, you know, now like, geez, like must be two thirds of the league wearing Dave art masks. So, um he's got he's
0: got some gear style too there you go shout out to johan hedberg confirmed legend by kevin woodley uh kevin thank you so much for your time i really really appreciate you uh uh, being so generous with your time and knowledge here so um definitely kevin is on x it's at kevin is in goal and kevin i'd like to just give you the floor just uh, plug anything you got going on there Well, first
1: of all, um, as I mentioned earlier, I am nicknamed the donator in my longest-standing hockey pool. So maybe everything I say about which goalie to take, despite getting Cam Talbot right so far this year, should be taken with a grain of salt. I am not responsible for any individual losses in disclaimer or bets. Um it's like a disclaimer, yeah. Um that said, like if you want to learn about goaltending, if you're a goalie, check out ingolmag.com. I'll leave it as simple as that. Um There is literally nothing like it in the world. It's not just a guy like me talking about goaltending. It's me going into the rooms of the national hockey league with videos of NHL goalies, making saves or doing drills and having them explain the tips, the secrets Um, how they read the game, how they process the game, real time video review sessions with some of the best in the game. And then also uh, drills and gear tips and everything. We basically take you in an NHL room and ask NHL goalies to share advice with you and they do it, including video. So uh, there's nothing else like it. If you're a goalie, we'll make you a better goalie. Whether if you're a goalie parent, we'll help you with that. If you're a goalie coach, We have over 200 professional goalie coaches, including some of the best in the NHL that subscribe. Check it out at ingoalmag.com.
0: Really, really strong work. Such an innovative idea and such a service you're doing to these young goaltenders. Just giving them that, that pro read. I love that. So again, thank you so much, Kevin. I wish all the best to you and your family. And uh, I hope to have you on again soon. Thank you so much for your service. And thank you listeners for your service. We are going to be back with another episode next week. Thank you so much, everybody. Celebrate your day. Bye for now. A
1: rational explanation is hardly necessary.